Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast where the snozberries taste like snozberries. I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. Dude, you gotta stop licking the podcast. Snozberries! don't know what this has to do with what we are talking about today and also how old is super troopers um excuse me that is a joke from charlie and the chocolate factory willy wonka and the chocolate factory oh is that what super troopers is referencing yeah have you not seen the gene wilder no i definitely have but like not since i was like five or six oh man that movie slaps especially if you've had an edible um i imagined uh oh my god Hi, welcome to Afternoon Afternoonified. Um, I'm going to tell Sarah a thing and then we'll get into the episode. Um, Sadie wasn't aware that they are making a Willy Wonka origin story movie. Oh my God, with with Timothy Chalamet. (laughs) Yes, I had to be the one to tell her. And if I had known that she hadn't known, I would have been more gentle about it. (laughs) I was going to say, why why did you have to tell her? Why couldn't have you let her live in blissful ignorance? Well, no, we were... I, I found an Instagram post where it was like, that guy from The Bear looks like Gene Wilder. And I was like, if they had cast him in the Willy Wonka movie, I might have like actually wanted to see it. And she's like, excuse me? Um, and then I found out some some other terrifying things about the Willy Wonka origin story movie. Um, like yeah. that it was written and directed by the same man that wrote and directed Paddington and Paddington 2. So the, the betrayal that I I'm felt. I'm sorry. Well, I don't know. It could be good. It's maybe. just called Wonka. Which I don't know why, but it makes me hate it more. <laughs> Relatively, it's because it's it's like it's trying to be a serious biopic, like an Oscar bait one. At least one of the Oompa Loompas is being <sighs> played by Hugh Grant. Now I do want to see it. The Oompa Loompas are supposed to be, I believe, from Africa or South America. A, a place where chocolate is grown. Yeah, but they're not adapting the book. They're adapting the movie. Well, no, there was already an origin story for Wonka in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that Tim Burton made. Yeah, the, uh, um, yeah. One of the funniest jokes in all of cinematic history where Christopher Lee is like, I won't be here when you get back. And then he leaves and comes back and literally the whole brownstone has just lifted from... <laughs> The movie's not that good, but the joke gets me every time. All right. Um, um, no, I have one more one more distraction. Um, I was watching a TikTok, and the woman just asked, like, if they remade Titanic today, who would play Jack and Rose? She's like, you already know. You already know. And then it's just like a picture of Timothy Chalamet flashes. <laughs> it's like, yes, that's exactly what would happen. Do we not um, have anybody else? <laughs> no. Uh, but to be fair, they believed Rose would be Florence Pugh, which I also believe is probably I would accurate. watch the shit out of that just for her. But yeah. do we not have any other white boys? No. Can you think of any? In that age range, I don't even know how fucking old he is. He's um, like 25-ish, I think. Like, I think he Tom got Timothy Chalamet, Tom Holland. I, I don't know. know any others. Make it weird. Not weird, but like have fun with it. And uh, the the kid from the Grand Buda- the Grand Budapest Hotel, um, Flash from Spider Man. I don't know his name. Oh, I don't know anybody. He's he's really good. Uh, th- yeah, make him. Make I him believe you. I think kid. you're right. But Rose would for sure be Florence Pugh, Anya Taylor Joy, or um, 
Oh the yeah, Irish, she the Irish girl. Um, sheer, 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 All good choices. All in Little Women. No, Anya Taylor Joy wasn't in Little Women. All have Little Women face. <laughs> they all have Victorian era sad face. <laughs> if this is the mini, that would be the title. <laughs> no, the, oh, Jesus, we are so far. We we've strayed so far from the light. Um, this episode is about chocolate you're doing a food history episode um and i didn't descend into madness while researching this one that's a nice change of pace yeah it's a little bit different than like tacos or pizza uh and more like coffee where it's a substance as opposed to like the full right like a full dish It, it was actually refreshing to get to the part where i like find the regional variants of the thing and like i didn't have to try to reconcile with like what a british taco looks like (laughs) you didn't have to like confront no, or like stuff they put on pizza in like Japan, which like I'm sure tastes great if you're from Japan, but just like conceptually as uh, like with my taste, it, it was just difficult. But like chocolate's chocolate. It, it's rarely bad. Yeah, it's really hard to fuck up chocolate unless you're like Hershey. I mean, I I'll, I had a Hershey bar on a fucking s'more this weekend. And like, that's how God See, that's like Hershey bars are good in particular contexts. Like as on their own, it is not good chocolate combined in like. Different treats. A, I'm yeah. here. I'm here for it. Yes, because sometimes it's just the right level of sweet that you want to like mix with things. Well, and it's got that little sour twang that we'll discuss later. Um, I I got very heated writing my notes. Um, on one like cultural difference specifically. <laughs> Basically, I think that some countries need to check themselves before they talk shit about how other countries prepare their food. <laughs> Can't wait for that rant. That's I think that's the one place where I got like genuinely heated. Like um well, this is going to make me sound like a tool. Just a, a content warning, we are going to be talking about uh slavery and child labor at some point. Uh, of course. I don't get super into it. I think it's one of those you can kind of fill in the blanks, but just like a heads up. Anyway, uh so yeah, we're going to we're not just going to talk about like the brown stuff that comes in bars um because that is something that you make with chocolate. We're going to go from the cacao plant to the the processing to what you can make with it to the historical context. We're doing the whole the whole chocolate journey from bean to bar, from bean to bar. The chocolate story. <laughs> Damn, that was smooth. That was good work. Once in a while, I'm pretty good. <laughs> so uh, site sources, um, Britannica.com, History.com, Smithsonian Mag, uh, History.com. Uh, Taste Atlas, which is a, a very fascinating website, and the um, oh fuck, I, I can't remember what the this abbreviation stands for. Something important. It's like the International Chocolate. Your website's bad. <laughs> <laughs> the International Cocoa Organization website. Oh, the ICO. Yeah, of course. It's the ICCO. ICCO. Where's the extra C? International Choc that's a good question. Are they counting both C's in cocoa or cacao? Is this a language thing where it's like in another language it has two C's? International Cocoa Organization. I think they're counting both C's in cocoa. Interesting. I wonder if there's already like an ICO and they're trying to differentiate themselves. No, they're located on the Ivory Coast in uh, Africa. And the front page of their website has daily cocoa prices that you can download as an Excel spreadsheet. So you're a fucking nerd. There you go. I am. Thank you. Oh, there's a World Cocoa Conference in Belgium. 
Uh, it was in April. Oh, 2024. So we can still go. Oh, hell yeah. Let's go. Probably not for just like industry people or anything. Um, no. Okay. Let's let's finally get to it. After I've insulted an entire country, I've insulted Timothy Chalamet. I'm off to a good start. All right. So so we're going to start with the terminology. Um, so chocolate is the blanket term for the concept of the food. <laughs> Um, it's actually specifically defined as a food made from roasted and ground cacao seed kernels that is available as a liquid, solid, or paste, either on its own or as a flavoring agent in other foods. Okay. Yeah. When you think about it, like, you could do a lot with those little beans. Oh, yeah. Cacao refers to the plant or, uh, or its beans before processing, while the term chocolate refers to anything made from the beans. And is cocoa just like a different... Like a type of chocolate? Uh, cocoa refers to chocolate in a powdered form where all of the fats have been removed. Gotcha. But we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, like in depth. Um, so the word chocolate itself, Webster's Dictionary defines chocolate. <laughs> no. Uh, the word chocolate itself can be, tra- can be traced to the Aztec word cuacotl, which referred to a bitter drink brewed from cacao beans. Uh, the Latin name for the cacao tree Theobroma cacao means food of the gods, and the specific name cacao is the Hispanization of the name given to the plant by the indigenous Mesoamerican languages, such as caca in, oh fuck, uh, I forgot how to pronounce a TZ in, like, I can't help you, I'm ignorant. Uh, tetzel? Tetzel. Uh, and Mayan. Caga in Sayulan Papaluca, and, uh, Cacahuatl in Nahuatl, which means bean of the cocoa tree. So we got cacao from, it's kind of like avocado, where like the natives had like a word for it, and then the Spanish came along and they were like, close enough. (laughs) We can't pronounce that, so we're just going to call it this thing. Yeah, that's how we got cacao, uh, which is a very fun word to say. I would say so. So with that out of the way, we're going to take a look at the plant itself, um, since that's kind of the most important part of the whole, whole thing. Um, the cacao plant is a tropical evergreen tree native to lowland rainforests of the Amazon and Orinoco River basins in South America. So does it just, I mean, I'm sure it grows other places now, but it really originated like solely from South yeah, America. Yeah, that's where it's from. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is weird, uh, given where, where most chocolate is grown right now, um, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, it is from uh, the rainforest in, in South America. Like that's. <laughs> That's where it originally came from. It's kind of like coffee uh, originally came from, I believe, kind of like the Middle East area. Like, I did an episode on coffee. I don't remember where it's from specifically. But then we were like, ah, there are other places like this. Right. Like, I'm sure today they grow it multiple, like, wherever the climate, wherever it agrees with the climate. Pretty much the same place where you can grow coffee is where you can grow cocoa. They're very similar in that way. That makes sense. They are both beans. (laughs) They are both beans. They, they they grow differently. Coffee has like little cherries, and um, cacao has like big pods. But in terms of like the conditions, uh, they're very similar. So cacao grows in the forest understory. Uh, the plants can reach a height of twenty to forty feet, but they average closer to twenty feet. Um, its leaves are oblong and leathery, and can reach up to a foot long. So these are big bitches. Yeah, those are sizable trees. The leaves are periodically shed and replaced by bright red young leaves, though the color fades with age. Um, And its flowers are either, and I quote, 
foul smelling or odorless. So it could be real bad or it could be neutral. Either are. Uh, and they can be present at all times, but appear in abundance twice a year. Um, these flowers grow in clusters directly from the trunk, and the limbs are about half an inch tall and wide. Oh, trunk and limbs and the flowers are about half an inch tall and wide. So the flowers are, like, they don't have, like, a stem. They're just, like, on. <laughs> it's a weird-looking plant. Now I gotta Google. The flowers can be white, pink, yellow, or bright red, depending on the variety, and they are pollinated by tiny flies called midges. Oh, those are weird looking. They, that's a very alien looking plant. Yeah. I love it. So after four years, the mature cacao tree produces fruit in the form of large elongated pods, up to 70 of them a year, uh, which range in color from yellow to dark purple. Uh, they ripen in less than six months, at which point they can be harvested and the seeds removed to begin the chocolate making process. Uh, each pod holds about 20 to 60 seeds or uh, cocoa beans that are covered with a sweet, sticky white pulp. Delicious. Yes, I believe to make like a standard chocolate bar, it takes like 50 pods or something. Seriously? Well, I mean, it's just like 20 to 60. I mean, 60. I said there's like a lot of processing, but damn. How big are these pods again? Um, They're about a foot long. Damn. Yeah, I mean, they hold, you know, 20 to 60 seeds that get like dried and then ground up. It's kind of like, it's like coffee. Like, it takes a fuckload of coffee beans. Oh, okay. So are we talking about it takes 20 of, like, the little seeds inside the pods, or it takes the no. pods themselves? I'm going to get the actual number, which I, for some reason, didn't write down. Uh, okay. Approximately 400 beans are required to make one pound of chocolate. Okay. Okay. Damn. So That's still a lot of beans. I was definitely picturing the pods, but... <laughs> to, to make... um. It, an 80 gram chocolate bar you need 30 to 35 cacao beans so you were closer to, to right i was thinking of a pound taking yeah. like yeah okay so it still takes a lot because that's yeah that's yeah. not a small number cacao thrives at altitudes up to 1000 feet above sea level and at temperatures no lower than 68 degrees they could definitely not grow here no <laughs> Uh, consistent rainfall is also important as our protection from wind and soil with appropriate drainage. So basically the conditions to grow this are very specific. Right. Um, aside from South America, cacao plants are now grown in several places around the world, including Western Africa, Hawaii, and more tropical parts of Asia. Um, as of 2018, the Ivory Coast in Africa is actually the top producer of cacao beans. Huh. So to stay here without getting uh, too too deep in the weeds about it... Um, it's very important to be mindful of where your cacao products come from. Uh, child labor that is often the result of slavery and trafficking is a huge problem in the industry, uh, specifically in uh, the Ivory Coast, mm -hmm. um, as are low wages and marginalization of uh, cocoa laborers in developing countries. So much like with coffee, try to buy fair trade when you can. It's a good step in the right direction. Did you find any tips on like what to look for in chocolate? Like no is there anything you can like on the wrapper that tells you where it comes from i mean you can get single origin chocolate that will tell you where it's from and it's not it's not like a regulated thing as far as i can tell like it's kind of like as as far as uh i can tell like being organic where like you can get the certification mm -hmm. um but like smaller farms might not have that so i mean even like uh fuck hershey um, it buys its beans from like a big trade where like responsibly sourced beans can be mixed in with ones from uh, farms uh, that use slavery. Yeah. So that sucks. 
Yeah, it's, I guess, just, like, kind of researching where your chocolate is from, like, just, you know, doing doing what you can with that. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, you're not going to be able to catch it, like, 100% of the time. Like, you're not going to go to a restaurant and be like, excuse me, is the cocoa powder in here responsibly sourced? (laughs) Um, I mean, if you're having dinner in Portland, like, they might fucking tell you on the menu. Um, Yeah. But maybe if you're going to treat yourself to, like, a nice chocolate bar, maybe look into, like, what brands you would want to buy from sort of thing. I, I will give the recommendation that Tony Chocolate Only is one of the, the best fucking chocolate bars you can get. Ooh, um, noted. And it is very responsibly sourced. And for truffles, like the little like round ball ones, kind of like the lint ones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to try to remember the name of the truffle because they... Oh, Alter Eco. Okay. I haven't heard of them. They're really good. Their salted caramel uh, truffles are super good. I'm on board. Um, so yeah, those are just two brands, but like obviously, you know, take a look at it. I think Trader Joe's is actually pretty legit, but don't quote me on that. But yeah, just the, the chocolate growing. Like we'll we'll get into some of like in the history section uh, later, but it's still not a great industry uh, because people take advantage of people in poorer countries, developing countries, and uh, you know it sucks. Yeah, I mean, welcome to most industries. <laughs> yes. Um. Because it's weird because, like, coffee and chocolate are both grown in parts of the world that, like, tend to be a little less developed. Like, I don't know how, like, that's that works out, but it just coincidentally. I think it probably has something to do with the fact that they are such great climates for growing lots of very in-demand foods that they tend to get colonized yeah, we'll get into that. Believe me. I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm sure colonialism uh, is involved in some capacity here. It is not a food history uh, episode unless white people do some suspect shit. I think the only one that hasn't come up with is pizza. And even then, like, white people still did some suspect shit. It just was less <laughs> racist and more like, stop putting that on pizza. Yeah. As for when humans like looked at these big ass pods and thought like I'm gonna drink that, um, no one really knows when that happened exactly, because humans have been consuming cacao for way longer than you'd expect. Like, give me a guess at when you think we have the first evidence of people drinking cacao. Fifteen thousand BCE. Hoo-hoo. Um, archaeologists, Jesus Christ, archaeologists have discovered the earliest traces of cacao and pottery used by the ancient uh, Mayo Chinchipe culture 5,300 years ago in the upper Amazon region of Ecuador. That's still pretty long ago. 5,300 years? Yeah. Yeah, that, what, that puts it at, like, what, 3,000 BC? Something like that, yeah. Um, one vessel found at an Olmec, uh, which is the oldest known Mesoamerican civilization, uh, archaeological site on the Gulf Coast of Veracruz, Mexico, dates chocolate's preparation by pre-Olmec peoples as early as 1750 BC. On the Pacific coast of Chiapas, Mexico, an archaeological site provided evidence of cocoa beverages dating even earlier to 1900 BC. Uh, the residue and the kind of vessel in which they were found indicate that the initial use of cocoa was not just as a beverage, um, but the pulp around the cocoa beans was likely used as a source of fermentable sugar for an alcoholic drink that could have been used in ceremonial rituals. Which, um, not not to, like, challenge their discovery, uh, I feel like if archaeologists don't know what something was, they just assume it was for ceremonial purposes. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be a common theme. We're just like, I don't know. I definitely did run into that a lot in the Neanderthal episode. 
I think at one point, like, way back in the day, like, they found, you know, like, a, a twig, like, frayed at the end and stuff. Um, and they were like, oh, yes, this must have been used as, like, a paintbrush. Uh, yes. or It was a toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> The fact is that the people way back in the day were were using it to make drinks, even if it wasn't uh, as we know it. Yeah, because like they weren't like adding sugar to it, right? No, they were using the sugars from the like pulp around the beans when you crack open the thing oh, to okay. ferment and turn into like an alcoholic beverage. Interesting. Oh, okay. Uh, so basically, as is the case with all like prehistory, archaeologists are just out there making guesses, and we'll go with it until we know differently. Yeah. That, that's a good description of archaeology. It's like the yeah. best guess based on what we know at this point in time. <laughs> and we'll adapt it as we move forward. Uh, so luckily, the history of cacao being consumed got a le- little clearer the longer civilization in South America went on, because like we started recording shit. Uh, so the Olmecs undoubtedly passed their cacao knowledge onto the Central American Maya, uh, who not only consumed chocolate, but revered it. Like, it was a big deal. I mean... Of course. Well, yeah. Uh, the Mayan written history mentions chocolate drinks being used in celebrations and to finalize important transactions and ceremonies. Uh, the most common way it was served was as was as cuacatl, or bitter water, uh, which is made with roasted crushed cacao beans, cornmeal, and chili pepper that was then poured between vessels until it was foamy. Interesting. It sounds disgusting. <laughs> Not necessarily. I I mean the cornmeal kind of thrown me off a little bit. It, it, the cornmeal like it it um it thickens it. It's a thicker. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, but like the spicy chocolate combination, I get that. Yeah, it's bitter. It's definitely bitter. It did remind me of there was an episode an episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine where uh Jake was super excited to go investigate something at a a, a chocolate milk cafe. Like all they <laughs> served was chocolate milk. Uh-huh. But then he got there and it was unsweetened ground cacao beans and uh, raw, like, cow's milk or something. Like, it was disgusting. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, super, like, Brooklyn hipster shit. For sure. It's a good episode. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, as the uh, the people of the Aztec Empire spread across Mesoamerica in the 1400s, they, too, began to prize cacao. Um, since they couldn't grow it in the dry highlands of central Mexico, they traded with the Mayans for beans, um, which they even used as a currency in and of itself. So in the 1500s, Aztecs could purchase a turkey or a rabbit for 100 beans or three uh, chocolate bars. Beans. <laughs> um, in contrast to the Maya who liked to serve their chocolate warm, the Aztecs drank it cold, uh, seasoning, it, seasoning it with a variety of flavorants, including petals of certain trees, chili, allspice, vanilla, and honey. Hmm. Uh, by one Those account, are all things I like. Yeah. I mean, it'd still be pretty bitter, um, but, you know, I, I'm more Even with the honey? Well, the, the honey would have uh, amped it up, but they're also not processing it the way that we're used to, to eating chocolate. It would be like right. um, cacao nibs, if you've ever gotcha. had those, um, which have more of like a espresso bean flavor. Okay, that still sounds pretty good to me. Oh, yeah. By one account, the 16th century Aztec ruler Montezuma II drank 50 cups of chocolate a day out of a golden goblet to increase his libido, uh, which is not a thing. No. I mean, like I mean, the- unless you're a man in the past, and then it's whatever you feel like you think is going to give you a boner. Uh, chocolate does contain some caffeine. And a mild stimulant and diuretic called theobromine, uh, which is also the compound that is toxic to dogs. Oh, good to know. The more you know. Don't feed chocolate to your dogs. 
No, I, I think uh, two ounces is enough to take down a small dog, so. Oof. If they get, like, a hold of a chocolate chip, your dog's not gonna die. But, you know, just, like, don't give it to them. Also, cats can't have chocolate either. I don't know, like, I think it's probably the same reason, but I feel like that's less commonly known. It's an, uh, it's it's a stimulant, like, of your central nervous system, so, like, that's kind of what... Mm. Because they're smaller than us, and, like, they don't process it the same way. It's not harmful to humans. No. Clearly. (laughs) Otherwise, that would be the end of the human race, I guess, because we just couldn't stop eating chocolate. Every uh, November 1st would just look like Jonestown. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that might be the worst joke I've ever made on this podcast. Yeah, probably. Writing that down one for the quote. Just going straight to hell. Uh, So both the Mayans and the Aztecs believe that cacao had a magical or even divine properties. Um, So they used it in, like, sacred rituals of birth, marriage, death. Like, it was, like, the drink. Um, And and, and actually, like, it's kind of like wine to to Catholicism, really. Okay. So, like, you can just drink it for funsies, but, like, it is a very crucial part of certain ceremonies. Mm -hmm. That's a good comparison. That, like, makes sense to me. That clicks in my brain. Uh, and weirdly, it will come up uh, in about two paragraphs. So prepare yourself. Lovely. Yeah. So they associated chocolate with Quetzalcoatl, uh, who, according to a legend, was cast away by the other gods for sharing chocolate with humans. Um, and they equated cacao's extraction from its pod with the removal of a human heart for sacrifice. Yikes! Which is weirdly metal. Very. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is gonna be like a funny, not funny thing. So like. <laughs> According to some sources, Aztecs sacrificed victims who felt too sad to join in ritual dancing before their death were often given a gourd of chocolate mixed with the blood of previous victims to cheer them up. I don't know if that would cheer me up. No, but, you know, different times, different vibes, I guess. I feel like that would also just remind me that, you know, next ceremony, it's going to be my blood in there. It's the circle of life. (laughs) It it moves us all, Sarah. The Spanish royal chronicler, God help me, Gonzalo Fernandez de Oviedo y Valdez, described a chocolate drink he had seen in Nicaragua in 1528, mixed with ajiote, which is a bright red spice. And he said, quote, Because those people are fond of drinking human blood, to make this be- 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 beverage seem like blood, they add a little ajiote so that it turns red. And part of the foam is left on the lips and around the mouth, and when it is read for having acciote, it seems a horrific thing because it seems like blood itself. I am skeptical that they did it because they wanted it to look like blood. Uh, it, yeah, it's also like a spice. Um, right. Like they were probably just flavoring. <laughs> also, it seems a little bit rich to hear someone dissing a Catholic getting up someone else's ass about oh, blood being used in ceremony. You're drinking blood. Blood. Oh, you're pretending to drink blood, even. Weird how that keeps coming up in food history uh, episodes, specifically dealing with the Spanish. Uh, it's not that, like, red wine doesn't look like blood. You know, maybe sometimes they just want, like, a nice, like, Chardonnay for yeah. consecration. Like, um. so, yeah, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if this guy was just an overreactor. Or if they were just mixing it with a bright red spice because it tasted good. Like, I don't know. It could be any number of reasons. It could we be could, anything. Yeah. It's fine. It's their, it's their fucking deal. 
Anyway, so there are conflicting reports about when chocolate arrived in Europe, um, although it's agreed that it first arrived in Spain. One story says that American hero Christopher Columbus discovered cacao beans after intercepting a trade ship on a journey to America and brought the beans back to Spain with him in 1502, which the phrasing of that, Christopher Columbus wouldn't have discovered it. He would have just intercepted a fucking trade ship. (laughs) More or less, yeah. But isn't that the most Christopher Columbus thing? It is very Christopher Columbus core. Um, uh, Yesterday, which was the 4th of July, um, because we record these in the past, I was going to find an episode of Expedition Unknown where he did like some stuff in America, you know, patriotic, woo. Uh, But then I saw an episode about like the search for uh, Genghis Khan's tomb. Mm -hmm. So it's like, ooh, let's watch that. And then I realized there's nothing more American than a big white guy going to a foreign country to look for something that doesn't belong to him. So, (laughs) happy birthday, America. Yay! Yeah, chances are uh, Christopher Columbus didn't discover cacao beans. No, of course not. Chances are Christopher Columbus didn't do shit. Um, Another tale states that Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés was introduced to chocolate by the Aztecs of Montezuma's court. Uh, after returning to Spain, cacao beans in tow, he supposedly kept his chocolate knowledge a well-guarded secret. Um, a third story claims that friars who presented Guatemalan Mayans to Philip II of Spain in 1544 also brought cacao beans along as a gift. But the fact remains, the Spanish had cacao first. <laughs> Did they know what to do with it when they got it? Yes. We're going to get into it. Uh, Chocolate didn't suit the foreigner's taste buds at first. Mm. One described it in his writings as, quote, a bitter drink for pigs. Uh, But once mixed with honey or cane sugar, it quickly became popular through Spain. Of course. Like, really popular. I mean, yeah. We all had chocolate, Emily. (laughs) We know. Get it? By the late 1500s, it was well-loved by the Spanish court, and Spain began importing chocolate in 1585. Uh, as importing seems. They began stealing chocolate. I think, they did a is. colonialism. They did a colonialism. Uh, as other European countries such as Italy and France visited parts of Central America, they also learned about cacao and brought chocolate back to their respective countries, though it was not nearly as widespread in other places as it was in Spain. Um, by 1662, it always fucking comes up. Pope Alexander VII... <sighs> had declared that religious fasts were not broken by consuming chocolate drinks. Twist! Because of the well-documented case of rich people not needing to abide by church rules, and chocolate was considered a drink for the wealthy because it was hard to process and uh, acquire. I would say, I'm sure no one, no one poor could afford it anyway, so why bother? It's the fucking butter thing all over again. <laughs> this loophole is unfortunately not the case anymore at least in American and British Catholicism. I don't know if they're on some different shit in Spain and Italy, but you probably remember Lent, where it's like, what are you giving up for Lent? Everyone gives up chocolate for Lent. But I guess now you could just make the case that, like, Pope Alexander said that I don't gotta, as long as it's liquid. Important caveat, but still. Yeah, I I think it is specifically chocolate drinks, because we weren't making solid chocolate back then. Mm Mm-hmm. Chocolate was a part of a number of 17th century Spanish palace rituals offered to visitors as part of the entertainment. Um, this ritual was that the ladies of the court offered their female visitors a serving of cocoa along with various sweets like cakes, breads, muffins, brioche, and a mm. vase of snow. No, I don't know okay. why. Uh, the chocolate was served to visitors who rested on cushions surrounded by tapestries and heating lamps. <laughs> Like lizards. I mean, this all sounds very it nice. Sounds dope. Even the li- the like vases full of snow. 
Yeah, like... I'd go for all of this. This is the first appearance of the social custom of drinking chocolate in the community, or chocolatas, in Spain. So, uh, chocolatas is, uh, like, a... It's basically what I just described. It's fucking getting together and drinking hot chocolate. Like, that's... It's like a thing. It's like happy hour, but with chocolates. Sounds like a great time. The, The thing that I'm noticing is, like... The uh the Aztecs and the Mayans got chocolate. They were like, "Holy shit!" And they they made it part of like their rituals mm-hmm. and all of that. And like it was a big deal. And then the Spanish got chocolate and did the same thing. I mean, it's chocolate, Emily. Of course, I, I think it speaks to the power of chocolate that this happened twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, an Englishman named Ellis Verriard, just a great name that I've read it out loud. I like uh, that who one. traveled who traveled through Spain in 1701, wrote about the high reputation that chocolate enjoyed in Spain in his book, and this is going to be a very 1701 British title, An Account of Divers' Choice Remarks. That's the name of the book. Interesting. Yep. Anyway, in this book, he described how chocolate was made uh, through painstakingly grinding cocoa in portable stone mills and mixing it with cinnamon, vanilla, and a small amount of annatto, which is... I'm just saying, a reddish spice often used for coloring food. Huh. Interesting. Uh, it does lean a more, like, yellow color. Uh, it is, it's still used as a coloring in food, but it is a reddish spice that they are mixing with their chocolate, Mr. These Savages Look Like They're Drinking Blood. <laughs> I'm not mad. It's fine. You're not holding a grudge against this one weird Spanish historian, like, forever ago? No, it's it's definitely not like when I did the taco episode and i was mad at the spanish again for being like these heathens in their court and then they all died of malnutrition because they didn't make the corn right <laughs> i mean th- at that point that's on them so yeah by th- by the 17th century chocolate was a fashionable fashionable drink throughout europe and fashionable drink is a phrase that came up in multiple articles i mean that still it's happens like a, today yeah we still have fashionable like an oat milk latte yeah. Yeah, like things come, things get trendy. Uh, like when everyone was drinking those charcoal lattes for no reason, or like when everyone got really into White Claw or Rosé. White Claw's not even the best seltzer. I don't understand. It's the first. I think it I'll was just the first. Yeah, I'm more of a truly seltzer fan. Um, but that's just me. Uh, it was believed to have nutritious, medicinal, and even aphrodisiac properties. Always, we've been over this. Uh, it's rumored that Casanova, who I found out was a real person, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially fond of the stuff i can't make fun of my sister for not knowing marie antoinette was a real person anymore because I, I feel like casanova's a little bit more obscure in a way well like he he reads like a storybook person whereas like marie antoinette is very well documented i did person. google him just to like check and i had been picturing zorro in my head so <laughs> like I think I was going to get mixed up with somehow both Zaro and Don Quixote. Yeah, one of those. It's the same fucking person. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it largely remained a beverage for the rich due to the, the cost of import and the effort, of course. So chocolate arrived in Florida on a Spanish ship in 1641, um, the, and it's thought the first American chocolate house, which sounds delicious, opened in Boston in 1682. So we were ahead of the times here. Because uh, it wasn't, like, a huge thing in Europe until the 1700s. Hmm. Uh, by 1773, 
Cocoa beans were a major American colony import, and during the Revolutionary War, chocolate was provided to the military as rations and sometimes given to soldiers as payment instead of money. Which is an issue in and of itself, but... I mean, yeah, pay your soldiers, but I mean, I'd take chocolate. (laughs) I'd work for chocolate. I I can't pay my rent with chocolate. True. Um, And as an interesting note, chocolate was also provided as rations to soldiers during World War II. And it was said to have been made to, quote, taste a little better than a boiled potato so soldiers didn't eat it too fast. <laughs> uh, they actually still include uh, chocolate bars in military rations. Hmm. Sometimes branded chocolate. Sometimes old branded chocolate. I've asked Travis about it before. And he's like, yeah, there were like Reese's and stuff in there, but you don't know how long they've yeah, been in there. <laughs> I imagine it's all kind of a little dusty. Yeah, but like, it's fine. Yeah. You just don't want the cocoa butter to go rancid. Um, All right. So here's where it gets um, dicey again. Uh, The new craze for chocolate brought with it, of course, a thriving slave market. Always. As between the early 1600s and the late 1800s, everything to prepare chocolate for consumption had to be done manually. Uh, Cocoa plantations spread as the English, Dutch, and French established uh, colonial plantations in equatorial regions around the world to grow cacao and sugar. Of course. Yep. Yeah, that, uh, when, all, that all tracks. When diseases brought by Europeans wiped out the native Mesoamerican labor pool, enslaved Africans were imported to the Americas to work on the plantations and maintain chocolate production. Wind-powered and horse-drawn mills were used to supplement human labor, but not replace any of it. Of course. Mm-hmm. So chocolate... <laughs> Yeah, it's classist and racist. And just generally terrible. So chocolate remained a food for the upper class until 1828, uh, which is when the cocoa press revolutionized its production. Casparus Van Houten Jr. uh, patented an inexpensive method for pressing the fat from roasted cocoa beans. Uh, The center of the bean, known as the nib, contains an average of 54% of cocoa butter, which is a natural fat. Uh, Van Houten's machine, a hydraulic press, reduced the cocoa butter content by nearly half, and this created a cake that could be pulverized into cocoa powder, which was to become the basis of almost all chocolate products. Um, Van Houten's son, Dutch chemist... Milhouse? Yes. (laughs) Gotta sneak a Simpsons joke in there at least one time per episode. Dutch chemist Conrad Johannes Van Houten invented, quote, Dutch cocoa... Mm -hmm. By treating cocoa mass, the cake, the like from the pressing, uh, with alkaline salts to reduce the natural bitterness without adding sugar or milk to get usable cocoa powder. Huh. Uh, the creation of cocoa powder in this method allowed for the use of chocolate as an ingredient and also reduced production costs, making it more affordable. So, thanks to the Dutch. Thanks, Millhouse. In 1847, British chocolate company J.S. Fry & Sons created the first edible chocolate bar from... I like how they included edible. Um, <laughs> edible chocolate bar from cocoa butter, cocoa powder, and sugar. I want to know what was in the all the inedible <laughs> cocoa chocolate Those are bars. called failures. <laughs> we don't talk about that. Uh, rival chocolatier Cadbury's, credited with pioneering the Valentine's Day chocolate box and Easter egg, followed suit soon after, and in 1854, Cadbury's earned a royal warrant as purveyors of chocolate to Queen Victoria. Cadbury's has been around for a long fucking time. (laughs) And for a good reason. Yeah, I mean, if you do it really good, you're going to stick around. 
Cadbury eggs are easily like one of my favorite confectionery treats. Even the American versions. Uh, It was, naturally, the Swiss who gave chocolate production one of its greatest leaps in technology. In the 1870s, Swiss chocolatier Daniel Peter, I was all prepared to say like a weird name, and then Daniel Peter, uh, utilized powdered milk developed several years earlier by his neighbor Henri Nestlé. Oh, oh, here we go. To produce the first milk chocolate bar, and the pair eventually formed the Nestle Company. Uh, Swiss chocolatier Rodolphe Lint. Uh, oh, I know that name too. Yeah. So, Swiss chocolatier Rodolphe Lint's 1879 invention of the conching machine, uh, which conching? used a large, yeah, uh, it used a large stone roller to mix and aerate the chocolate to give it a better texture and taste. This machine allowed for the mass production of smooth, creamy milk chocolate. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know where the chocolate is sourced from, but, like, those fucking, like, little lint ball things. Ugh, so good. They're so good. In the United States, I'm about to, like, I'm just name-dropping people all over the place. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, this is where all the people we know start to start to yeah, just yeah. show up. Uh, in the United States, Milton Hershey pioneered the assembly line production of milk chocolate. And after selling his caramel candy company for $1 million and producing his first milk chocolate bar in 1900, Hershey bought farmland near his birthplace, birthplace in rural Pennsylvania and built an entire factory town devoted to chocolate. Uh, the grass-fed Holsteins on the surrounding dairy farms supplied the company's milk, and a company town in Cuba supplied its sugar. Uh, chocolate bars soared in popularity during the 20s, and by the end of the decade, more than 40,000 different candy bars were being made in the United States. 40,000? In the 20s. I guess it's probably like, there's no national candy chain, so you're just like, each little region kind of produces their own, but that's still like, mind-boggling to me. 40,000. Yeah, I mean, Hershey had only been doing his shit for like 20 years at that point. Um <clears throat> Father and son duo Frank C. Mars and Forrest Mars Sr. collaborated on the idea for the Milky Way bar, which hit the market in 1923 with a chocolate for its coating supplied by Hershey. The family-owned business would rival Hershey's, and Forrest Mars Sr. later partnered with the son of a Hershey's executive to begin production of M&M candies in 1941. Now I just really want chocolate. (laughs) This is an issue I ran into yesterday when I ate my last lint truffle while doing the notes. <laughs> Did you buy those specifically to like enjoy while you wrote the episode? No, they were actually part of a gift bag that I got at our company retreat. Oh, nice. Good timing. Yeah, I think my boss knows because like I helped like plan the tree. I think she knows that those are one of my favorite things. <laughs> H.B. Reese, who had worked as a dairy farmer and shipping foreman for Hershey's, launched his own camp candy company in 1923. <gasps> Reese's Pieces? Five years later, introduced Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. They later came to be produced by Hershey's and are one of the top-selling candies in the United States. Reese's is, like, top-tier candy, for sure. That's Travis's favorite. Like, I'm more of a, uh, if I'm going to eat a candy bar, which I don't do very often, like a candy bar candy bar, Mm -hmm. I I like a a Kit Kat or a Twix. Twix are my, like... Twix. Twix is mm. top-tier. I went through a period where Three Musketeers were my favorite, and I don't know what was wrong with me, because they are uh, arguably not good. Andrews, those are the nougaty ones, right? Yeah, no. No, the- uh, I mean, they're they have, like, fine. They have the whipped chocolate in the center. It's, like, just- Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I'll eat a Milky Way. They can Milky be a Way's too pretty sweet. good. Snickers are pretty good. I, the, 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 I don't like the peanuts. Like, they get stuck in my teeth, and it's, mm, like, a fair. whole thing. Um, yeah, Twix is, is, like, 
if I'm going to eat like a candy bar, but I found that I prefer like a a fancier truffle or a, you know, a piece of like a, a nice candy bar. Yeah, I would say I wouldn't consider it like super fancy, but like just like Dove chocolates are really nice. I do like a Dove. Hershey Kisses, also pretty good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the Tony chocolate only like salted caramel chocolate bar is like the fucking bottom line. I'm going to have to try that. They're they're like seven bucks a bar, but like they're pretty big. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you know that like, you know, a slave child in Africa didn't grow the cocoa beans. (laughs) So they taste even better. Yes, they taste better because there's it's cruelty free chocolate. Um, So, yeah, that's the history of chocolate. So now that we know how it's grown, where it comes from and how it's spread to the world, we're going to talk about how it's made, uh, what kinds there are, a a truncated list of what kinds there are. I, I cannot get into all of the different kinds of chocolate. I tried many, and, many different kinds. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to see how uh, other people around the world have decided to use chocolate. Lovely. Uh, so the, the processing uh, starts with harvesting and cleaning. Um, cocoa harvest is spread over several months, usually with a major peak and a minor peak of pod ripening harvesting, um, I believe, in the summer. Uh, careful removal of the pods from the trees uh, with a knife is required to avoid damaging the plant, because as you've seen, the flowers right. grow directly out of the fucking trunk like yeah so it's like it's right there you gotta really be precise yeah and if you fuck it up like you mess up where a flower could grow back later oh yeah um so after inspection and testing the beans are removed from the pods and cleaned uh we don't keep the white stuff anymore i don't think we're still making alcohol out of it do we do anything with it not that i know of i think it just gets cleaned off huh uh, the next step is fermentation. Um, so chocolate flavor is developed in two parts. The first is on the farm through fermentation of the wet beans by the grower, and the second by the processor in the factory at the roasting step. This is where chocolate is a lot like coffee. You had me at wet beans. <laughs> I, I wish I hadn't had you at wet beans. <laughs> so in the initial stages of fermentation, much of the pulp drains away and um sometime between 36 and 72 hours the beans are done fermenting they just kind of sit the next step is drying so after fermentation the moisture content of the beans needs to be reduced from 55 percent to 7.5 percent substantial yeah it's the right moisture content for storage of cocoa for a couple months in the tropics so you know you can pick it and then store it so you have chocolate year-round mm-hmm Uh, The beans are laid out on anything from mats to concrete to specialized tables, uh, depending on the processor, and they're left alone for an amount of time, which can vary based on the climate. Um, The duration of the drying step depends on the weather, but it's unusual for sun drying to be completed in less than a week. So a while. I assume that, like, in mass production, they have, like, fans and shit going or, like, heat lamps. Yeah, and also, like, you're constantly, like, getting stuff in, so it isn't like you're doing it all at once. It's always kind of, like, it's phased, yeah. Uh, Next is roasting. So once the beans are dry, they are roasted to enhance their flavor. Um, Roasting also helps remove any remaining moisture from the beans. They are roasted at a high temperature for a short period of time, and the length and time and temperature varies depending on the type of cocoa bean and the desired flavor. Again, like coffee. Mm -hmm. Next up is winnowing and grinding. Uh, The roasted beans are crushed by a crushing machine into small pieces called nibs. Uh, the nibs are then winnowed to remove the outer shell or husk. I think that means that they just get, like, shaken up. Uh, so they leave behind just the, the inside of the bean. Mm-hmm. At this point, the process could be finished, and you have cocoa nibs. Um, or you could go on to further refine the chocolate, uh, which leads us to alkalization. Uh, the, alkalizi- alkal- Jesus. the alkalizing process is optional, 
uh, as both regular and Dutch processed cocoa are used around the world. I think I have both right now. Um, I'll explain the difference in a minute. Uh, the process consists of mixing the cocoa with an aqueous... Aqueous? Aqueous a, sounds right. A sure. watery solution of an alkaline compound, usually salts, uh, and mixing at a high heat. So then you'll have, you know, the ground up nibs, you'll have the powder. Um, I'm just realizing this list of of steps doesn't include the pressing of the cocoa to remove the uh, cocoa butter compounds from the nibs. Oh, that sounds important. So we're just going to insert that. There is a point where (laughs) a cocoa press is used to extract the cocoa butter, which is a yellowy, fatty substance from the nibs, leaving powder. And then it's alkalized. Okay. So it splits like, so you have the powder left over and then you also have the cocoa butter. So it creates two different products. Yes. They're both used. Um, so the difference in, in like usage between a Dutch process, so alkalized and a normal cocoa powder, is that the Dutch process is going to be less bitter. It's also like a like reddish color. Okay. Um, and it is best for applications where it won't be heated up because it mixes into liquids a lot better. So uh, like if you're doing like a pudding. Okay. Um, you can use that, uh, but if you're making a cake, it's interchangeable. You can use whichever one. Um, it, it really depends on the recipe, because like, also, uh, there's a, an acidity difference between the two of them. So how that interacts with other ingredients that you're using. So like, you're going to want to use a Dutch process if you're making like a red velvet cake, mm-hmm. because that usually has like a sour cream and it like it interacts and like makes the cake brighter and uh, gives it that flavor. Where if you're making like a dark kind of bitter chocolate, you're going to want to use the other one because it is processed differently. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so after alkalization is conching. Um, conching. So, yes. I love that word. So at this stage, the various, uh, this article said raw materials, which felt weird, um, are mixed together. So depending on the end product that you want. So cocoa butter, sugar, milk powder, hazelnut paste, whatever you're putting into the cocoa powder. Um, the ingredients are then poured into a large machine known as a conch, and it is heated before being mixed together and aerated to form a smooth, even mixture. Uh, this stage is key in giving chocolate its, like, smooth, velvety quality. Because mm. if you're not mixing it properly, then, you know, you don't get that. Yeah, it's not going to be pleasant. Yeah. Uh, the next is tempering. Uh, to temper the chocolate, the temperature of the chocolate is raised and then decreased. This change makes the cocoa butter crystallize into a compact form, creating a smooth, even, shiny surface. Uh, so you don't have to temper, but you won't get, like, that shininess to it. Um, right. It won't look as nice if you... Yeah. Uh, basically, like, you, you can temper chocolate at home if you're doing, like, chocolate-covered stuff. Uh, you can even do it in the microwave. You just want to make sure it stays under a certain temperature. Because if it goes above that, then it melts the cocoa butter too much. Um mm-hmm. So, like, it, you haven't ruined the chocolate if it goes above that temperature. It's just not going to uh, solidify in a, in a nice, shiny, pleasant-to-look-at way. Gotcha. Uh, which leads us to the, the final step, uh, molding. Uh, the tempered chocolate is poured into molds that are then placed onto a continuously vibrating belt to eliminate air bubbles uh, mm. by causing the chocolate to stick to the sides. After that, you have a chocolate bar, or whatever the shape the mold was. Delicious. So I, I'm waiting for like a hand to come out of my computer and hand me a chocolate. Uh, we don't have the the Wonka technology. <laughs> Darn! This isn't a Mike TV situation. <laughs> I'm, I've, I've been thinking about it, and like the kids in in Willy Wonka, arguably terrible. 
I get Augustus Gloop's thing, though. Yeah. Like, we went into this knowing, and he found his ticket, honestly, by the way, just because he ate a lot of fucking chocolate. And they knew that he loved chocolate going into it. And then they present him with a fucking river of chocolate. This kid's like eight. Yeah, it's like kids that old haven't developed impulse control yet. Like, yeah, now that I think about it, like you're putting your... You're really depending on in that movie, you're putting a lot of pressure on kids to act like adults when kids just aren't adults yet. Their brains haven't developed enough to be adults yet. And you're judging them for it. Putting pressure on their parents to I mean, like Veruca Salt fucking deserved what she got. Like Yeah, sure. I mean, there's definitely like you can raise your kids to be like politer kids, but also like kids are just still gonna be kids. Like I'm not mad at Violet Beauregard for eating the gum that's supposed to take like a bunch of stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Like didn't have to kill them do you think he killed those kids or like yes okay i think that's implied in the in the original movie and the book but in the uh, tim burton version like you see them leaving the factory later because i think they realized like we cannot (laughs) murder these children i feel like i feel like you need that story to be sinister though like i think that's like kind of the point yeah just no one talks about how gene wilder murdered all those kids (laughs) Also, there was press outside. <laughs> Nobody ever goes in. And nobody, nobody ever, ever comes, comes out. There's also some indentured servitude stuff in Willy Wonka that I can't get into. I don't think he was paying those Oompa Loompas. Uh, uh, no, I the, mean, in the Willy Burton- Wonka is at heart a capitalist. Yeah, I think in the Tim Burton one, they also implied that he paid them in cocoa beans, which was like their ultimate thing. But like, I don't know, maybe money. That's just Tim Burton trying to be woke. <laughs> Sorry, those words came out of my mouth. It was like 2007. He was a little ahead of it. Uh, maybe he should have cast Johnny Depp as a Native American, but, you know, <laughs> can't all be perfect. Anyway, so we're going to talk about the types of chocolate. Uh, very general types of chocolate. Um, I'm not going to get into, like, different baking chocolates and stuff. I don't have time. Or the the will. <laughs> So we have dark chocolate, which is also known as plain chocolate or inferior chocolate. It is produced using a higher percentage of cocoa with all fat content coming from cocoa butter instead of milk. Uh, Dark chocolate can be eaten as is, used for cooking, um, and it usually... uh, Used in cooking for which thicker baking bars usually with a higher cocoa percentage, ranging from 70 to 100% are sold. Uh, many brands display the cocoa percentage on their packaging, which is not something you see on milk chocolate. I am definitely a bigger fan of dark chocolate. I, uh, I'll i eat it, but I don't always like it. Milk chocolate is just like, and this is weird because like I will admit to be like, like, I have a sweet tooth. I love sweet things, but like they can't be too sweet. Yeah. That's why like, I also, yeah, like I don't have like, I don't go out and buy a Twix bar. I really like the Twix minis, but Like, that's just too sweet for me. Like, if I want a candy bar, I'm going to go for something that's, like, a dark chocolate-based candy. Um, yeah, I've got to, like, I don't, candy bars are too sweet, so, like, I'll eat a whole Twix if it's, you know, that time, and I'm just eating it to suppress the rage. (laughs) But as far as, like, candy, candy chocolate, not chocolate-flavored things, um, I I prefer milk chocolate, especially in terms of, like, mouthfeel. Um, I find dark yeah. chocolate to be too brittle, and I also don't really like bitter things, um, which is something that you come up with with dark chocolate. Um, sometimes it does work better, though. Mm-hmm. Um, next up is milk chocolate. Uh, milk chocolate is a solid chocolate made with milk. 
uh, added. In oh, the, really? Yeah, added huh. in the form of powdered milk, liquid milk, or condensed milk. Um, the first, I'm sorry, the first known variation was developed by Jordan and Timaeus in 1839 with donkey milk. Interesting. Okay. Um, the Hershey Company is the largest producer in the United States, um, and the actual Hershey process is a trade secret, but experts speculate that the milk is partially lipolized, um, which is a process <laughs> that does something, uh, but it uh, produces something called butric acid, uh, and then the milk is pasteurized, stabilizing it for use. Um, I think lipolized might be kind of like a souring of the milk. If I'm yeah, because Hershey's does have like that very tang. specific taste. Yeah, uh, the process gives the chocolate a particular taste, which some overdramatic people have described as vomit flavored. Which, um, and this hasn't ruined Hershey's chocolate for me. Butric acid is also found in vomit. Oh yeah, that makes sense, and that people would like pick up on that. Um, some Hershey rivals have started adding butric acid to their product since Hershey's is famous for a fucking reason. <laughs> the next is white chocolate. Which is not chocolate and not say worth no your time. Cacao. What? Excuse me. I love white chocolate. I think it's chalky. Um, I don't like the texture at all. It's got to be like good stuff. And also like white chocolate is like a very like you take little small pieces of white chocolate. You can't have a lot of white chocolate because too much white chocolate is just too sweet. Uh, yes. Um, the only situations where I like white chocolate are as decoration or if it's mixed with another chocolate. And in a very specific lint truffle, which is their uh, strawberry cream, which is Ooh, that does fucking mind blowing. Yeah, it, it's a texture thing for me. I, I'm not a. It's no, that's like fair. Waxy. Um, so although similar in texture to that of milk and dark chocolate, white chocolate does not contain any cocoa solids. It is made of sugar, milk, and cocoa butter um, that has been extracted from the cocoa. Oh, okay. So it does have like cocoa butter. I thought it was literally just like a candy and had nothing. Nothing to do with the cacao plant at all, but interesting. Uh, yeah, it has cocoa butter in it, so it is technically made from a chocolate product. It just doesn't have any of the chocolate solids. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Because basically, like the cocoa press situation, like you grind up the nibs really fine, so you, you kind of have something similar in texture to like a really thin like peanut butter. Mm-hmm. So like the fats and the solids, um, yeah. and then you press it and the cocoa butter comes out and then you're left with like the dried stuff, which is also how you make a uh, dried like peanut butter powder. So, hmm. uh, and the next and the last is Ruby chocolate. Uh, this is a new product. Yeah. Uh, Ruby chocolate is a type of chocolate created by Barry Calabout, a Belgian Swiss cocoa company. Um, Belgians always do it right. Belgians and the Swiss. It's like the Avengers of chocolate. <laughs> Uh, the variety was in development from 2004 and was released to the public in 2017. It's a very new release. Yeah, very, very new product then. Uh, the chocolate type is made from the ruby cocoa bean, resulting in a distinct red color, going back to its roots, uh, and a different flavor described as sweet yet sour. And I can say from experience that ruby chocolate fucking slaps. I am very intrigued. Um, the, I've only had it from Moonstruck Chocolate, which is a local company, but it, it kind of has that like milk chocolatey, like almost, it's not sticky, but you know, that kind of texture that melted milk chocolate has, uh-huh. and it has that kind of twang to it, but it also has what I wish white chocolate was. It's a very, kind of just like, it's sweet, but it's not too sweet and it's tangy, but it's light. It's very good. <laughs> I'm sure this is a great for an audio medium. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I definitely just got distracted, like, shopping for chocolate. <laughs> so we're going to get into the final part of this episode, uh, which is regional treats. Before I get into this, I wanted to address the whole, quote, American chocolate tastes bad, unquote, thing that British people seem to have a bug up their ass about. <laughs> I am... I don't get mad, mad at like a lot of stuff because cultural differences, but for some reason, British people getting up America's ass about their food like really shits me off. <laughs> because A, why the fuck do you care? And B, British chocolate tends to have a higher fat and cocoa content. American made chocolate typically contains a larger amount of sugar. British rules dictate that for a snack to be considered milk chocolate, it must include 25% cocoa solids at the very least, and in the U.S., the rules are not as strict. Therefore, manufacturers can and do tweak the recipe to suit their customers' tastes or, admittedly, save costs. I mean, I think specifically of, like, Advent calendar chocolate, which is just... Oh, so good! I mean... It's very good in, like, a nostalgic sort of way, if that's, like, the taste you're looking for. But, like, as chocolate... Well, no, I'm not talking about, like, Palmer's chocolate. That's trash. <laughs> like, the little, like, the coins that you get, like, in Easter baskets that just, like, have oh, a picture yeah. of a... Oh, yeah. Also trash. It's awful chocolate. I get that. Like, we do have bad chocolate, but, like... <laughs> but we also do make good chocolate. We also make good chocolate. It's about regional preferences. And, like, I don't want to take this kind of shit... From people who boil their food until it's gray and raided a bunch of countries for seasonings that they don't use. So, God bless America. Happy Fourth of July. <laughs> I'm just really bad about it. I, I mean, I do like I do like British chocolate. I like Canadian chocolate. Man, Canadian Smarties are oh so good, so good. Hey Sadie, um, if you could just mail a bitch a box of Smarties, my tops, because it's like what an M M&M and M is supposed to be. I don't think I ever have. Uh, it's it's literally just chocolate covered with a candy coating, but it surpasses yeah. M&M's by miles. All right, so regional treats, of which Britain is not on the list. Their regional treats, the Cadbury egg. Good work. They, yeah, they did do a good job with Cadbury. I will give them that. Yeah, I'm not saying their stuff is bad. I'm just saying ours isn't bad either. It's just different. Um, so, uh, America. Chocolate fondue. God bless us. Did we get really? Chocolate? Is that an American thing and not like a Swiss thing? Uh, well, um, in the beginning, Americans enjoyed Swiss cheese fondues, um, and then later on in the late fifties, early sixties, a Swiss-born chef named Conrad Egli created a sweet chocolate fondue in his New York restaurant. Hmm. The now popular Toblerone chocolate had a marketing campaign in the U.S. at the time, uh. and Egli used Egli Egli. Anyway, Eggly sounds right. Eggly uh, used it in his first chocolate fondue, which also incorporated heavy cream and Swiss Kirschwasser, which is a cherry liqueur. Kirsch, if you will. Uh, the dessert was an instant success, and it even made its way back to Switzerland. So yeah, America. Well, a, a Swiss-born chef invented chocolate fondue in America. Did we get chocolate fondue at my bachelorette party, or do we? I don't. Um, we would have had to. No, we got. I would uh, be caramel. fair. Yeah. I distinctly remember dipping cookie dough in chocolate fondue, and it was the best thing I've ever had in my entire life. Because they also have one that's just a, a big pot full of caramel. Ooh, that sounds good, too. That might have been it. Man, that sounds good. You know, either way, we made a good choice. Uh, Sweden's contribution is kladka. Kladkaka. Ooh. Yeah, it's a bad name for a good thing. I was going to say, actually, no, it sounds delicious. No. Oh. Uh, so one of the most popular Swedish desserts is a rich chocolate cake known as kladkaka, 
Uh, this s- classic Swedish creation combines eggs, cocoa, uh, butter, sugar, and flour, and it's a flourless chocolate cake, um, into a dense and luscious dessert. Uh, during baking, the cake should remain moist in the center while the outer f- layer forms a thin, crunchy coating. Delicious. Since the cake is incredibly dense and typically heavy on bitter chocolate, it is usually dusted with a layer of powdered sugar and traditionally served with a dollop of ice cream or whipped cream. Uh, it is one of the most beloved Swedish desserts typically enjoyed during Fika, a traditional Swedish coffee break. I feel like those are one of those cakes where you like have three bites and you like yeah. need to stop because it's so dense. You're like stomach drops. I think they have a version of which it is the Ikea. best. Yeah. Our next treat comes from Brazil, which is the Brigadiero, which I desperately want to try. Um, it is a decadent Brazilian dessert made by heating three ingredients, unsalted butter, cocoa powder, and condensed milk, which are then rolled into a small ball. It's like a softer truffle. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's rolled in um, sprinkles. Ooh, that's delightful. Yeah. Uh, first made in the 1940s when fruit and sweets were in short supply, uh, Brigadiero was born out of creativity with just a few ingredients. According to one story, Brigadier Eduardo Gomez was running for presidency in 1945 with a slogan that said, Vote for Brigadier, he's handsome and single. (laughs) That's perfect. I love it. Um, The slogan won over a lot of girls who baked and sold the sweets in order to raise funds for Brigadier's campaign. And now we're going to Google this man and see if that's true. What's the name again? Brigadier? Brigadier Eduardo Gomez, but it's Gomez with an S. <laughs> oh, no, he definitely was hot. He, he, he is pretty hot. Oh, no. If you look for pictures of him young, he is he's okay, a Okay, because otherwise he looks like a Nazi from an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, uh... In his old age, I mean, I'm not going to say he was an ugly man. He's just like, it was just an old guy. But uh, no, he looks like he's looking for the uh, Ark of the Covenant, Sarah. You can say it. (laughs) But the pictures of him uh, as a young man, uh, I can see it. I have to check on something on his Wikipedia. Oh, wow. Very little information here. Oh, he went to prison. (laughs) Mm Hmm. All right, no Nazi sympathizer stuff that I can find off the top, so that's good. Oh, that's great. It's always a risk that you run. <laughs> anyway, so that's the Brigadiero, which sounds delicious. Um, I've heard that sometimes you'll just like they'll just make a big one and then Ooh. just hand out spoons. Lovely. Yeah, it's basically just like eating ganache. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Japan, we have Nama or Nama. Nama sounds better. Chocolates. Uh, they are silky ganache-like squares that are typically dusted in cocoa powder. Uh, the name comes from the freshness of the cream involved. Mm. Uh, Japanese confectioner Royce, that's correct, is said to have created the original Nama chocolate recipe in 1995. Uh, they sell a variety of flavors of the signature chocolate, and many of them are infused with special liqueurs. Ooh. Yeah, so it's just like a really good, like, truffle. Uh, and then finally, we have from Jamaica... Uh, cocoa tea. Um, I'm listening. Yes. Uh, it's popular in the Caribbean or the Caribbean, depending on your flavor. Um, this tea is sort of like a hot chocolate that's been seasoned with spices. Its base is of cocoa log, which is made, or balls, which is roasted ground cacao nibs. 
So they don't. It's it you, like you just grind up the cacao, cacao okay. nibs and you're left with like that paste, um, and then you grate it and you make it with that. So you grate it into to hot milk. That sounds great. Yeah, the tea is especially popular in St. Lucia because the Caribbean islands have been growing cacao trees for centuries. Um, people from all islands in the area have been making different versions of the tea. Some recipes call for the addition of condensed or evaporated milk. Other use commonly found spices like nutmeg and bay leaf. So I assume it's like a more bitter, like less. Um, yeah, rich. I'm thinking because there's no. Well, it's got the cocoa butter in it, but it's not processed. N- yeah. I'd be interested in tasting that because, yeah, I'm feeling like more of like a, not necessarily like a savory chocolate, but like a less sweet. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's chocolate and a, a lot of our opinions on chocolates. <laughs> and just as I am at the end of every food episode, I desperately need chocolate right now. Yeah, my progression was, man, I want chocolate. Hey, remember when I did the pizza episode? Fuck, I want pizza. <laughs> I'm also kind of just hungry. So, I mean, there's always that. But yeah, uh, it was a fun, not super stressful uh, episode to research because everything was kind of linear, which I don't often get when I try to do episodes like that. I love when things are easy and linear. Um. Yeah, like someday I'll do an episode about tea and then I'll descend into madness. So <laughs> that seems fitting somehow. <laughs> that that's the one that breaks me. Yeah, it it would be tea that drives you insane. Well, I had an idea to do an episode on sandwiches. Um and I really haven't gone much further with the idea than hey, I should do an episode about sandwiches. I mean, sandwiches can get out of hand so quickly. I was going to say, we could do a 40-minute episode arguing over what counts as a sandwich. Hot dogs aren't sandwiches. Hot dogs are what just are a way they, of... S- they're just a way of serving sausage. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> like, a, a taco's not a sandwich. I mean, is it, though? A taco is not a sandwich. A taco's a taco. No, I'm just goading you. <laughs> a calzone, on the other hand. A calzone is not a sandwich. Calzone is that's a pizza. That's a pastry. Yeah, I guess the calzone would be like a filled pastry, like a meat yeah, pie. Yeah, like a meat pie. Yeah, exactly. An Italian yeah, as, meat pie. As far as I am concerned, the definition of sandwich is two pieces of bread with a filling in between them, which means that open face sandwiches are a varietal of sandwich, but they're actually more yeah. of a toast. Uh, what would you... So hamburgers, those are sandwiches then, by that criteria. Yeah. Um, I'm yes. not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just stating. Yeah, I would consider a hamburger a, a sandwich in, like, the way that all squares are rectangles. Yeah. But, but like, you don't be like, oh, look at that rectangle. You say, oh, look at that square, because there's a more specific. Wow. Uh, there's it's a, a more warm specific beef sandwich. Word. I don't like the phrase warm beef sandwich, despite its accuracy. <laughs> warm beef sandwich is terrible. <laughs> You're welcome. But yeah, a hamburger's a sandwich. Okay. Well, I'm glad we uh, fit that all into our chocolate episode. Now I don't That's think we need to do enough. That's the episode about sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. A bonus mini, if you will. When I take two pieces of white bread and put Nutella on them and then smash them together, that That's a is sandwich. a sandwich. Yeah. I mean, it's no different than peanut butter and jelly, which is subjectively, or no, objectively a sandwich. No, it is. Um, it also uh, contains... Like, because you have to pair peanut butter with, like, a, a wheat, basically, a grain, to make mm-hmm. it a complete protein, which is why the peanut butter sandwich exists. Oh, interesting. I didn't I never knew that. 
the jelly is just to make it taste good and to uh-huh. keep your mouth from like fully sticking together. I've been really into like peanut butter jelly toast lately. It's just such a good combination. I got some um, passion fruit curd from uh, a coworker who went to Hawaii recently. Interesting. It's very nice. It's very tart, but still got that like eggy, like mm-hmm. lemon curd. Mm. Anyway, um, <sighs> we've funny. lost the plot. Probably not going to make it in. Um, yeah. So if you're British, I don't want to hear your opinions on our chocolate. I know we have at least one British listener. Hello. Um, we love you. Mushy peas are gross. Um, <laughs> I'm just starting the Revolutionary War all over again. Yep. July 5th, motherfuckers. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you can find us on Instagram at Afternoonified. We are no longer going to be using the Twitter because Elon Musk is a uh, shell of a human being. Yeah, we're just, we're just not going to be doing the Twitter anymore. Yeah, just don't need those vibes. Uh, if a Twitter alternative pops up that's not a cesspit, we'll look into it. Yeah, send us your Twitter alternatives. <laughs> we'll look into it. You can also find us at getafternoonified.com. You can email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Uh, remember to check out our merch store where we have your Jeff the Talking Mongoose merch. Get yourself a Jeff shirt. The Jeff design is fantastic. You can also get your Foxy Grandpa mug. <laughs> and potentially in the future, you could get your Business Daddy mug. <laughs> Although I just physically recoiled at the phrase Business Daddy. <laughs> now i will be fighting for that business daddy mug i think i have to at this point um remember to rate subscribe review all of that fun stuff and we will see you next week with a a mini that i found to be charming as fuck oh lovely all right goodbye everybody goodbye we love you For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is As Above, So Below.